Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is Michael C. Bouchard, the host of the Night Stalker podcast, episode 104. Today we're going to talk about abstract thoughts. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at a book called My Abstract Thoughts. And let's see what it has to say in the introduction. The book is a compilation of 307 of the author's abstract thoughts. It has become evident that as we begin to age, our thought process changes drastically along with our physical bodies. In our mid-40s, in some cases even earlier, we begin to either accept or question everything we see or hear. Our thought process can be compared to climbing an invisible ladder. However, while climbing our ladder come to the fatal realization that the rungs on the ladder only go in one direction. Like our bodies, the rungs on our ladder will not allow us to step backwards. Some people might think my opinion could be considered rude, crude, and socially unacceptable, which probably portrays a more realistic portrait of myself than I wish to acknowledge. This fact within itself would certainly explain why I don't put on a business suit in the morning or why there isn't a brilliant political career anywhere in my near future. When I was a young man, I would listen to Bob Dylan Dylan on the radio. The words in the lyrics weren't clear to me at the time. It was an epiphany of some sorts when I sat down and listened to the same Bob Dylan vinyl record album in my 50s. I realized that the same lyrics suddenly became quite clear to me. I must admit, even today, in some respect, I have no clue what the hell he was was ever talking about. Although the lyrics to Dylan's songs don't don't hadn't had any hadn't changed over the years, they become an excellent comparison of hearing, listening, and life experiences. My understanding of the lyrics may have come from either one or two things. Pitch modification brought on by old age, or an accumulation of life experiences making the songs more understandable. Abstract thoughts result from comparison and evaluation between physical observation and already known facts, distorted by the infusion of one's personal beliefs. Hence, abstract thoughts are merely concepts and ideas which have not yet solidified into reality. I started making these type of comparisons at a young age for some unknown reason. The comparisons have continued throughout my life, and with a note, they still do. Regardless of why, most metaphors, phrases, or sentences have a specific message, but within these messages themselves are an indirect connotation in opposition to the initial message intended and its intended meaning. Let's take, for example, the word time. What is time? We cannot go back in time, nor can we go forward in time. Therefore, we are always in the now. While living in the now, there is no need for time because time would only represent the past or the future. So time itself is merely a baseline for where we are now, or where we should be in the future. In the original version of this book, 
there had been a second chapter entitled Creatures of Folklore, Fact, or Fiction. The second chapter was published as an individual book. The bottom of page number three. Warning, if you are personally sensitive or live in a safe space, I don't recommend reading this book. This book is based on real facts, which some people might find quite offensive, which is true. It actually does. We'll go over page four. Life quotes. What are life quotes? Here are some quotes. If you're always right, why don't you have an answer? You're dumber than a box of rocks. Death is life's only stop sign. The term imperative is defined by one's desperation. The speed of light could not exist without darkness. Numeric time does not exist if you don't own a watch. Time is stationary, not moving forward or backwards. Thus, there is just the now. Life must be lived one day at a time because the past cannot be regained nor the future predicted. Draw that gun and you'll look like a tin can on a fence post. Who you once were, you still are. What you see in the mirror now is only what you want others to see. When in doubt, shoot it out. Relevant things are only based on irrelevant desires. If racism is a human condition, why do cats and dogs hate each other? And then we will skip to the back of the, the back of the book. It's a very small book that I wrote. It's uh, I don't think it's actually more than well. Let me tell you how many pages. Um, let me see, thirty-five pages. Let's go over it. We'll do this, this, the, the Red Dawn and uh, Space Invaders. The pandemic was unlike any kind of invasion the world has ever seen in modern times. The enemy hadn't parachuted out of a plane or entered the Earth's orbit in a spaceship. The enemy was invisible and undetectable, rapidly spreading the virus throughout the world. The effects were swift and devastating. The casualties fell in every global area of the globe, unlike conventional warfare. The question is, how can you hunt, track down, and shoot an enemy you can't see? The answer is, you can't. The enemy does not fear a gun and cannot be stopped by a speeding bullet. Let me preface my first statement by saying, I'm a Second Amendment advocate. But, however, how do I support 8 million people running out to buy guns and all, all the ammunition on the shelves every time they believe an, apop- an apocalyptic event is going to occur? What scares me the most is the same people running out to buy guns and ammunition are the same idiots scavenging and hoarding toilet paper and paper towels in the store. These are the same people who look down, down the gun barrel to see if the gun is loaded. The Red Dawn Syndrome response has become a common occurrence in my state over the past two years. Even as a gun enthusiast, I don't think it is reasonable or responsible respond to a situation with a gun every time there is a bump in the night. 
In an attempt to gain voters and kiss-ass politicians throughout the United States, have enacted statutes, state statutes and laws reducing the ability of law enforcement to perform their jobs. This leads, this led the people to run out, destroy property, and loot local businesses. And while all this was happening, what did the federal, state, and local governments do? Nothing. It's all about kiss-ass and getting votes. There is no con- concern about public safety. With this in mind, the average citizen knew the hands of law enforcement had been tied. Fearing for their safety and the safety of their family, 8 million people went out and purchased firearms, and the number of new gun owners continues to grow. This fact, this failure to act by the government and politicians turned around and bit the gun owner politicians right in the ass as the number of gun owners grow, the number of votes for the anti-gunner Preacher politicians steadily decline. At the bottom of the page, watch out, kid, you'll shoot your eye out. Page 32, Space Invaders. Anyone who has read my book, Creatures of Folklore, Fact or Fiction, will notice the purpose of the book was to disprove today's modern myths and folklores. I will concede that the vast cosmos of space, I agree there is the probability that life exists on other planets. However, everything else is bullshit. Imagine if you were an alien life form from another planet sent to the Earth to study the human race. Imagine their surprise what they, when they visit, visited the White House and mistakenly took it for an insane asylum and wonder why men are using the old the ladies' room. White men are using ladies' rooms. But on the other hand, note how hard would it be to take over a planet where men are wearing dresses and using hand lotion. Do you think after being on Earth for a few days, an alien from another world would be thinking about how to take over the planet? Hell no. Their alien asses would be running for the spaceship while spraying themselves with antibacterial, moral, and ethnical spray. Talk about hitting hitting the ground running. The spaceship would be in warp drive before it even hit, or before it even left the atmosphere. So that kind of sums it up. The last page of the book. Now, let's do this one. What the hell have we learned through all of this? What have these events taught us? Objective number one. When you see the the train coming down the track, don't try jumping off the track after the train runs you over. My first thought was to be prepared and expect the unexpected, but in this case, most people hadn't learned anything. When the shit hit the fan, it it was every man for himself. In today's society, with men worrying more about what their body lotion, what body lotions to use, rather than hard work, while others struggling about which designer dress they would should be wearing, bring me to the conclusion that we're fucking doomed. And anyone under the illusion that the coronavirus was a result of a natural occurrence should have paid more attention in their high school biology class. 
The worst tragedy teaches the best lessons. Some people need to start looking and seeing what what's occurring in the world rather than listening to the propaganda, the media, and social media, which the social media are trying to sell them. I hope after the pandemic has left us, we as a people have learned some other lessons. Let's be more logistic in our, our actions. And when a critical incident occurs, before we react to our selfishness and self-induced panic, we should think about others. We need to slow down and use some common sense and extend courtesy and compa- compassion to others and not blame things on people because of their color or their skin their race, religion, or any other thing that may have to do with nothing the situation is involved in. Maybe we should have learned something from a, from our grandparents of the greater generation. United as people, we have a game plan. Stay safe and healthy, and when in doubt, run like hell. The end. So, with that being said, after 13 minutes, those are some interesting thoughts you might want to reflect on. Uh, I have many books out. Um, they deal with everything. My abstract thought was kind of a, uh, a psychological meltdown, maybe. I don't know. We also have out there, what do I have out there? Creatures of Folklore, Fact or Fiction. This basically goes through all of our, most of our most popular urban legends and attempts to evaluate the actual possibility of existence. We have cop stories, unconscious decisions, which the front cover says we think of monsters as hairy, ghoulish figures with long fingernails and sharp teeth lurking in the darkness. However, the most dangerous monster of us all walk among us in the daylight. And what this is, this is a compilation of, I think, about 100 and, 125 uh, bizarre police stories. One of our, one of our other, better, my better sellers is The Kinetic Cult, The Broken Cross. Uh, let me just see what it says here. In the 1970s, a religious cult known as The Work migrated into Connecticut from uh, Dover, Pennsylvania. The leader... Brother Julius Schack now believed he was a divine re, uh, reincarnation of Jesus Christ. The book describes the interior workings of the cult and the dark side of its sinister leaders, which is very true. If you read it, it's kind of freaky. You don't ever join a cult or you're going to die. Then we have, what else do we have here? We have Missing in Connecticut, Missing and Unidentified Persons from 1886 to 2021. And basically, that's exactly what it is. It's a list of I'm going to say 100, uh, probably 12 missing people or unidentified bodies in Connecticut. Uh, the book has a really good um, interview with uh, Bernard Keat. Was it Bernard Keat? No, wrong book. Um, Barry Prentice, who was um, actually at a scene of a, a homicide of uh, Susan LaRosa back in 1973 in Vernon, Connecticut. Um it's a good interview. The police never got this interview. I got this interview. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure. I had tracked. Uh, I had tracked uh, Barry down in uh, Maine. I'm not going to mention a specific location because uh, 
he did he did me a, a solid by giving me giving me a statement that he had never given anybody before. It's pretty incriminating, very self-explanatory, and basically it explains the probably explains the disappearances of individuals like Janice Pocket, Debbie Spickler, uh, Lisa Joy White, Irene Larosa, Susan Larosa, uh, Patricia. Um, I can't remember her last name. Patricia Luce, uh, Stephanie Olinsky, and in the Vernon area, Vernon Rockville area between 1968 and 1978. <clears throat> Some very incriminating shit uh, Barry put out there, but Barry wasn't there <clears throat> when all of this happened. The next book uh, is. Uh, for any of you who've seen The Gone Girl, I hate to burst your bubble, um, but it's all fake. Um, for most of you who don't or do know it, I've been in law enforcement for 35 years. Um, Joan Carolyn Risch was actually the individual that was uh, the person that The Gone Girl was, the movie Gone Girl and uh, some other books were written about. Uh, I was the first person and only person to get the actual police report, the 5,127-page report. This book is based off of fact, not fiction, not bullshit like all the other uh, books about her are. It has interviews with uh, interviews, court statements, a lot of stuff uh, that really explains the situation pretty good. I had talked to um, one of her friends um who I located in New Hampshire. Uh, really good interview. Explained a lot of stuff that a lot of people didn't realize. So that's, that is the, the number one and the first book of its kind. Uh, all these books can be found on Amazon. And that book is called The Disappearance of Joan Carolyn Risch, case number... 6162, and that occurred in Lincoln, Massachusetts, 19, 6, October 24, 61. Uh, my last book that's out, well, I have other books out there, but um, one of the last books is The Search for Dennis Lloyd Martin, which is a, um, Dennis Lloyd Martin was one of the biggest search and rescue attempts in the Smoky Mountain National Park, June 14, 1969. I also was able to obtain, through hook and crook, some of the official records that weren't released, uh, except for the Pansy FBI who keep hiding the real, their side of the story, uh, their 147-page report from me, but that's okay because I talked to all the interview, interviewed all the witnesses that you talked to, plus some more you didn't know about. So I have some really interesting uh, interviews. One interview they did not get, which I got, was to speak with Bernard Key. It was... His first interview after almost 50 years, and it was his last interview. Um, Bernard explained a lot of things to me that uh, the FBI did not want you to know, uh, what the FBI did not want the Martin family to know, um, but it explains a lot. It also goes over the uh, the conspiracy theories of uh, the... Um, uh, suicide of uh, Special Agent John Wright, uh, Reich, uh, who... Okay, sorry for the interruption. I just had it. So, 
barged in like usual. Uh, Jim Reich was the lead field agent uh, on the scene of the Dennis Lloyd Martin case at the time. He was not the OIC at that time. That was uh, Agent uh, Estel. Unfortunately, there has been a lot of conspiracy theories online about uh, James Reich's suicide, which is all bullshit. Uh, I actually interviewed his son. I learned a lot of stuff about him. Uh, a lot of things about the suicide, no, I did not put in the book because it is not your business. I know it, but <clears throat> it's personal business. It should not be any of our businesses. All I can tell you is that James Reich, as in his career as an FBI agent, worked on some of the biggest cases that there were which included Mississippi burning that case with the civil rights workers, uh, the Brinks armored car robbery in 1950, the Blonsky union presence homicide in Pennsylvania. So James Wright by no means was a, uh, by no means committed suicide because of guilt he felt over anything that happened at the dentist. Uh, Lloyd Martin search. Uh, Dennis Lloyd Martin was never found, unfortunately. Uh, I spoke with uh, some of the key people there, actually. Uh, Dwight McCarter, who was lead um, ranger and who had worked there at the time. I uh, spoke with um, Dennis uh, Martin's uh, mother. So the book, although a lot, lots, lot smaller than... Uh, the Carolyn Risch book, it is full with information that most people don't know. And that worst, it is filled with accurate information. Uh, any of you who notice that the books that I do on disappearances, they are based on actual police reports and actual interviews I do. I do not subscribe to using online information because, quite honestly, it's all bullshit. It's bolstered with uh, information that's inaccurate. The interviews are done by people that aren't experienced interviewers, and they do not ask the right questions or go in the right direction most of the time. So, therefore, if you are looking for information on Carolyn Risch or Dennis Lloyd Martin, I would suggest you picking up uh, one of my books uh, on Amazon. Uh, I sell my books cheap. I don't I don't put them out there expensive like some other people do. Uh, not that I'm going to say uh, missing 411. A lot of money for know, witch doctor stuff, um, you know, uh, let me just preface, I fight with a lot of people like, uh, George Knapp, who, who to this day insists that, uh, <clears throat> Robert Lazar, the individual that exposed Area 51, uh, actually worked on spaceship, uh, bullshit, he was a hoax, the whole thing was a hoax, it's the only, the only reason George Knapp is working that, working that theme is it w- because it brought him from a TV anchor man into a uh, a TV mogul, basically. Uh, Jeremy Corbell, unfortunately, he seems like a halfway decent guy, but he's under the guise of uh, George Knapp uh, following the wrong direction. Um, he is smarter than George Knapp. He doesn't make uh, false false accusations. He, he's very careful on what he says. Good job with that. Um, a lot of stuff I don't believe it, but believe you know happens to come out, but that's my opinion. Uh, George Norrie, who's more interested in selling uh, bullshit time space on um, midnights in the desert, 
another one with bogus bogus information, uh, more shit than toilet seats. Um, the late Art Bell, who just would buy into anything to make a buck. And then we have Dave Pilatus, who just is another witch doctor, car salesman, whatever you want to call these people. Uh, then we can go to, I, I do have two more books out. One is The Covered Bridge. It is a, um, a mystery novel involving serial killers. Uh, and it all occurs in the general area of Earl, Earl, New Hampshire and the border of Lincoln and McGalloway Plantation, Maine. Um, that is the first book. It's called The Covered Bridge. Basically, what happens when a book collector buys an old book collection, which happens to have the missing paperwork and documents of Nikolai Tesla, who they thought the FBI took. And just just for uh, just for readers uh, or listeners, <clears throat> the FBI did not take the important papers that. Nikolai Tesla had in his hotel room that was taken by the, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Properties at that time was run by no other than President Bush, uh, President Trump's uncle George Trump who him and Tesla and Edison hated each other because they were always trying to get the bigger bang for the bigger uh, invention and Tesla wiped their asses all over the place and he called them all a bunch of morons uh, in New York City, right in Times Square. Proved that they were all wrong. He passes away. And all of a sudden, his inventions, drawings, and everything else that goes with it disappears. Kind of a coincidence, wouldn't you say? Well, I don't believe in coincidences, so you know. And it's funny when you're, when you're, when you're, Best competitors is the, the director of foreign properties, and the interesting thing was Nikola Tesla. Nikolai Tesla was a naturalized American, so there was no reason for that department to even be involved. Think about that one. So, what happens when a bookstore owner buys these, buys a collection and he finds these papers, and other people find out that he has them? Well, to figure out what happened, you're going to have to read the book. It's called The Cover Bridge, The Map to the Future. That is on Amazon. That is a um, Stephen Crawford, Jacob Andrews mystery. And the next uh, Stephen Crawford and uh, Jacob Andrews mystery that's going to be coming out is a complete the police car conspiracy that should be out within about the next four or five months, uh, probably the summer of uh, 2022, and it will involve our same two characters chasing down bank robbers. The Canadian Mafia, Moonshiners, 
Latrice Barker, who thinks she's seeing UFOs in the uh, mountains over Abbott Brook and Wilson Mills. Until then, this is episode 104 of Night Stalker series on um, Anchor Radio. This is Michael C. Bouchard, the host. <laughs>